Our reading this morning comes from Elizabeth Tarbox. It's entitled Sangre de Cristo. My names for God don't work here in the desert because they are ocean words. I know how to stir the mystery of the dark waters and move the spirit of the briny swells to life because this is my spirit, my mother that rises from the waves to meet my call, and I am not afraid. But here, here I need a new language, a language that loves clean white branches reaching to a blue sky and the hard open mouth of a dry riverbed beneath the canyon wall. Who are these gods that strike the blood-red walls of the Sangre de Cristo mountains, where spruce and aspen with crooked fingers clutch the wild wind's laugh? I am ill at ease out here, where ravens fly upside down, huge feet curled with the ecstasy of high flight, preening their feathers in casual command of the wind's army. I can imagine being caught in a hawk's beak, carried to 10,000 feet, and being indigestible dropped upon the desert floor. I can imagine thirst draining my veins, withering my skin till it flakes away. And I am less than I have ever been, because I do not know how to call the spirit of the mountain or how to name the gods that move among these rocks. Kindly, the universe puts its great lips to my ear and whispers, Listen. Listen. You do not need to know the name of God or to call it. You need only to know that you do not know and lift your face and stand in its presence and give thanks. If I were to ask members of this congregation or friends or people, Unitarian Universalists gathered in community pretty much everywhere, what is God? I'd get a whole lot of different answers. I would get a whole lot of different answers, even just probably in the folks assembled in this room today, I would get a whole lot of different answers, probably more answers than there are people. I would get answers that range from God is a personal force in the universe with whom I interact on a daily basis to God is a meaningless concept created by human beings in their image and probably pretty much everything in between. Right here in this congregation, I'd get answers from God is forces in nature that we don't understand to God is mystery and wonder in the universe. Barbara, I know, who's sitting here in row three, has often said that she chooses to spell God with two O's. And so she might share that with us if if I asked everyone in this room to tell me what God is. And like the king in that fable from so long ago, it would be my job as a Unitarian Universalist minister to say, yes, yes, God is all of those things. And just leave it there. 
One of the wonderful things about Unitarian Universalism is that we come together understanding that what each of us knows is just a piece of the truth. Like the blind men trying to figure out what an elephant is, each of us experiences the holy and the sacred. Some of us choose to call it God in different ways. Each of us has different experiences that go into our understanding of what is most holy in this universe. And rather than just saying, okay, my experience is the right one, and that has to be because I've experienced it as such, so therefore it is right, and everybody else must just be wrong, we come together differently in Unitarian Universalist congregations. We come together eager to learn what everybody else's experience is, so that we might see truth or goodness or God or love from a different perspective. And we might know that all of these things, all of these things are way more complex than any of us are capable as individuals of understanding. Last week, I um, was the minister of the week at this conference on Star Island, and Marion and Michael chose to make as the theme of the week, um, they called it the Feast of Reason and the Flow of Soul. And that is um, a phrase that comes from 19th century, mostly Unitarian folks, who um, would invite people to grand discussions in their parlors. It was a, it was a very uh, commonplace thing, especially among people of a certain socioeconomic class, to just invite different people to have discussions in their parlors. And rather than say, I'd like you to come over for a discussion in my parlor, they would say, come over for a feast of reason and a flow of soul. It was a nice, a nice phrase that Marion and Michael chose to bring into this week. And so I spent the week um, reflecting on different parts of Unitarian Universalist history and heritage and what they have to teach us today. And the theme speaker of the week was uh, Megan Marshall, who wrote uh, a book on the Peabody Sisters, and, uh, and her new book on Margaret Fuller is coming out. So she especially was reflecting on a time in our history where um, women and men came together and um, discussed things, um, and many of whom, many of these women and men, uh, came to a transcendentalist philosophy. People like Margaret Fuller and Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau, um, who were um, Unitarians or around the fridges of Unitarianism, um, but they came to this understanding that each of us experiences the transcendent. Each of us experiences the divine, the whatever we might call God, um, in a unique and personal way. And that each of us is capable of interpreting that experience um, in, in a certain way for ourselves. And, and that was sort of the basis of transcendentalism, that you know, these folks who went out and experienced God in nature, and the, Henry David Thoreau who went out in the woods sort of by himself, and um, people who, who experienced God through reading books and studying uh, Eastern religions and, and all sorts of things, they understood that they were finding their peace of the transcendent. They were finding their piece of, as Ralph Waldo Emerson called it, the oversoul. Well, unfortunately, 
The unfortunate thing about transcendentalism and the challenges that it gave to Unitarianism and to American religious um, movements in general and to American philosophy in general is that if you start with the basis that each of us is capable of experiencing God ourselves, that each of us is capable of experiencing the transcendent ourselves, some people are going to take that to the conclusion that we don't need to experience it together. And many of those transcendentalists did just that. Many of those transcendentalists became rabid anti-institutionalists, that they had just no use for the gathered congregation, for the religious community in their particular spiritual lives. They said, if I can sit on a mountainside, on a rock, and experience God, I don't need to come to a congregation and experience it with other people whose answers are different than mine. And I think that is a great shame of transcendentalism. One of the things that that bothers me the most about the transcendentalists was their tendency to understand that if I can do it myself, I don't need to do it with other people. And what they missed, what they missed is that they were only experiencing part of the divine. What they missed is that they had only seen a part of the elephant that they could not understand all of. And that those people waiting for them in religious community on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, those people had each experienced a different part of the divine. And it was only by putting the puzzle pieces together that we might have a chance, even a chance, to glimpse what the truth is when all of the puzzle pieces get connected to one another. They took one little piece of a billion-piece puzzle and said, oh, I can see God. I don't need any of the other pieces of that billion-piece puzzle. That, I think, was a great shame. One of the transcendentalists who went in the opposite direction is perhaps my biggest hero in Unitarian Universalist history. He's someone who we don't hear about too often. So I want to tell you a little bit this morning about James Freeman Clark, 19th century Unitarian minister. And as I said, something of my theological hero. And in fact, the subject of the one Unitarian Universalist miracle that I have been uh, privileged to participate in in my ministry and my life. And I'll get to that in a minute. James Freeman Clark was a transcendentalist. He, too, studied these things. He, too, understood that we each experienced God in our own unique ways, that we each understood the divine flowing through our lives. But James Freeman Clark, unlike Emerson and Thoreau and some of his siblings and cousins in the transcendentalist circles, decided that that he needed religious community in which to experience that divine. Because if we all experienced our own little bit and put it together, we had a better picture of what God was. And so James Freeman Clark very famously set out to build Unitarian churches. He was one of the very few ministers in the mid-19th century who, um, when he became a minister in Boston, said, um, volunteered for service in the wilderness 
in the, at the American frontier. And in the mid-19th century, when he was volunteering for service in the wilderness, um, that was Louisville, Kentucky, um, where he was sent. Um, that was the wilderness at that point. Um, but he got sent out to Louisville, Kentucky, where he built a Unitarian church um, and gathered a community and then figured out that he really did not have the fortitude to uh, spend time uh, in a place of unpaved streets and, and constant challenge. So um, he left Louisville and went back to Boston and built a church in Boston instead. When I was studying for the ministry and approaching my, my very final um, interview with the committee that would determine whether I was fit to be a minister or not, it's called the Ministerial Fellowship Committee. Some of you have probably heard of it. Um, when I was approaching that interview, I was getting very stressed out um, over the need or the apparent need or the, uh, the need that I saw um, to know our history very thoroughly. And uh, many of my colleagues spent um, hours and days and weeks poring over history books, memorizing every fact that they could. And I know my brain better than that. I'm not a good memorizer. It's why I, I really stank at organic chemistry. I just can't memorize things and regurgitate them at will. And so I figured it was a hopeless task to even try doing that. So what I did was I leafed through my history books casually until I found something, until I found something that sparked my interest, sparked a little bit of passion. And I came across a profile one day of James Freeman Clark. James Freeman Clark, who, despite being a transcendentalist, also understood that we had something to learn from one another together, and that it was important that we come together in religious community to share our experiences together and to learn from one another. And so I spent the three or four days before I went to see this committee reading everything I possibly could in every book I could get my hand on about James Freeman Clark. I memorized his five points of the new theology, which later became called Things Commonly Believed Among Unitarians, The Fatherhood of God, The Brotherhood of Man, The Leadership of Jesus, Salvation by Character, and The Progress of Mankind, Onward and Upward Forever. I understood how he was mocked by the people who insisted on adding the neighborhood of Boston to that list. I read and I read and I poured over these things and I tried to understand this man who had the courage to go against the people whose theology he shared to be a part of an institution where he was kind of on the fringes of things. And I sat there in the committee meeting and the second, very second question that they, that they asked me was the dreaded history question. They made it their second question. And the minister who was asking me the history question said, I'm going to name some things from our history, and you tell me why they're important. And I said, okay, I'll do my best. And he named some things, one or two, three or four things, and I, and I did my best. I stumbled through. I pretty much knew what they were. I couldn't have told him dates or precise names or anything like that. But, I, you know, I did, I, I did my job. I told him why those things were important. And then the fourth or fifth thing that he named, he looked at me and he said, James Freeman Clark. And I leaned back in my chair and I said, oh, let me tell you about James Freeman Clark. 
the only Unitarian Universalist miracle that I have been privileged to participate in. I understand that the heritage that we get from James Freeman Clark is very much this understanding that what each of us knows about God, what each of us knows about truth, what each of us knows about love, what each of us knows about the sacred, what each of us knows about any of these concepts too big for any one of us to comprehend. What each of us knows is a piece of the truth. It's as if we were holding a piece in our hand to a billion-piece puzzle. And our job, our job as Unitarian Universalists, is to find as many of the other puzzle piece holders and to put together those puzzle pieces to try and make something of a more complete picture. No 20 of us will ever have a significant portion of that billion-piece puzzle together, but we'll certainly have 20 times more than each individual one of us had when we got to the room. No hundred of us will have a whole puzzle either, but we'll have a hundred times more than each of us had when we got into that room. And that is one of the most beautiful things, I think, about Unitarian Universalism. As I experience it, I hope it is for you as well. Blessed be.